On today's Money with Friends, we've heard about sports stadiums opening. We've heard about malls opening. Well, guess what? Investment firms are also beginning to reopen. We're going to talk about that with my friend Paula Pant from Afford Anything on today's Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my neighbor's house. Andy Hill at Marriage, Kids, and Money gave us uh, his recording studio for the day. I'm Joe Salci. Hi from Stacking Benjamins. And I'm Paula Pant from Afford Anything. And where are you coming from, Paula? I am also coming from Andy Hill's basement. This is so weird. Can you imagine? It is strange. Don't, don't you know, well, never mind. I'm not even going to talk about that. I was going to talk about uh, Ghostbusters where they say don't cross the streams. I've never seen Ghostbusters. That is so weird. I never do that about you. <laughs> this is the podcast where we cover recent stories ripped from the, from the financial press. We do these live, as you can tell. And today we're tackling one from Investment News, an industry rag for uh, investment advisors. Not only do we read them like some podcasts, but we're going to dive into how these affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, or pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, we'll share a big idea at the end of today's show you can take with you to be better with money the rest of your day and all in usually less than 20 minutes. Today's show is brought to you by Tiller Money. You know, Tiller is what I use to manage my money. And what I like about Tiller is the fact that it's a spreadsheet. And Paula, I'm not a spreadsheet dude. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a money nerd. Right. I wear the badge. Mm-hmm. I walk around and talk about money freely, but I'm not a spreadsheet guy. You spreadsheet person? I'm I'm good at using spreadsheets, but I'm not good at building them. That's what freaked me out about Tiller when I first heard about it was I'm like, no, thank you. Even though everything can download at once, I don't want that. But once I found out there's a community of people out there that build all kinds of different ones and I can mm-hmm. choose the one I want. Oh, yeah. Head to TillerHQ.com forward slash MWF and you can not only test drive it yourself, but you'll also get 10% off your annual subscription uh, if you use our link. TillerHQ.com forward slash MWF. Paul is back for another day. We did not scare you away. And well, this- I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> She's like, but the door's locked, Joe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, the, the weird thing here is, is you and I talk all the time. We are never in person. I know, right? This this is a lot. So Joe and I were talking off camera, behind the scenes. Uh, this is way more fun in person. It is so much more fun. I could I could do this for a living if I did this in person. <laughs> if if only that paid all that you could get all that big podcasting money, right? Well, today we're going to talk about speaking of big money. Investment firms are known for making big money, and they are opening back up. Uh, let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick off today's piece. This is Tim from the Faith and Finances podcast. Just like hanging out and chatting about the news, that's why I tune to Money with Friends. All right. This, as I mentioned earlier, comes to us from Investment News, and it is written by uh, Emil Halez. And Emil's uh, headline is Investment Firms Reopening with Most Planning for September. Paula, you want to do the honors here? Absolutely. More than half of investment managers plan to have their offices open by mid-September, even as federal authorities project COVID-19 infections to pick up during the fall. According to a survey of more than 100 investment firms recently conducted by the Callan Institute, 84% currently have their physical locations closed, but 10% said they plan to reopen this month, 17% in June, 5% in August, and 15% during September, according to the report published Friday. 41% of respondents say they do not know when they will reopen. 
smaller firms, or those with less than $50 billion in assets under management... Small. I know, right? Less than $50 billion. So small. <laughs> ...were more likely to reopen offices sooner, with the majority citing plans for July or earlier. Most larger firms pointed to reopening in August or later. In the densely populated Northeast, where the spread of COVID-19 has been prominent... More than half of investment firms said reopening would not occur until September or later, according to Callan. On Monday, the second phase of reopening in New York City began, with offices starting to come back to life. Mayor Bill de Blasio estimated during a press conference that, quote, hundreds of thousands of people would be returning to work this week. Investment companies appear to be more cautious when it comes to business travel, the survey showed. More than half, 53%, said they are unsure about when business travel will resume for their companies. 31% said travel would likely be allowed by September, though 10% pegged a timeline as far as January 2021, according to the report. Currently, only 3% of firms said they're allowing visitors into their offices, all of which are smaller employee-owned companies, the survey found. The industry is likely keeping tabs on how infection rates are changing around the country. The Callan survey did not ask respondents whether they expected COVID-19 cases to become less common during the fall, nor whether their estimates for reopening were contingent on infection rates falling. While the rate of new cases stopped accelerating just before summer, it's again rising and the spread of the virus is expected to ramp up in the coming months, according to statements from the White House reported Monday uh, of a couple weeks ago by the New York Times. Although the number of new cases in many states have been relatively flat or declining over the past two weeks. Rates are rising in at least 23 states, including California, Texas, and Florida, according to the Times. Despite the industry-wide changes in working arrangements, investment firms said the number of meetings they've had with clients and consultants hasn't changed much, according to Callan's report. 23% said the number of meetings compared with a year ago is the same, while 37% said they've decreased and 35% said they have increased. About half, 48%, said that nearly all meetings are done via video. Based on our conversations with clients, I'd say most have said that video conferences have been great and more efficient. One survey respondent told Callan, according to the report. I, so I don't want to get into, I don't want to get into coronavirus because it just feels so political when I look mm-hmm. at my Facebook feed and it shouldn't be political, right. but for some reason it is. Mm-hmm. So let's avoid that. But let's just talk about, let's just talk about this with, with financial firms. Paula, if this last paragraph says that video meetings are making you more efficient right? and you're able to do things really, really efficiently and you have the data that cases are rising why the hell does it matter if you open up? Why does it matter? That's a, that's a very good question. And I will, I will start this conversation by admitting that my, my bias comes from the fact that I have worked from home since 2010, 2011. Well, and maybe I'll say that's my bias here too, because right. I, we run, as you know, Stacky Benjamin's a virtual organization. Exactly. You, you do, I do, so... Exactly, exactly. And and to that, to play devil's advocate to what I've just said, um, as you and I have just talked about, th- this is a lot more fun. This recording yes. right here is much more fun because I can make direct eye contact with you instead of looking at a screen. Yeah. And so I feel more energized. I can, I, I can tell 
if this were how I worked, if, if I were to work in person with actual other human beings in the room, um, I can tell that I would have the energy to put in longer hours because there is just a, a, an inherent motivation that I think myself and many ambiverts or extroverts or even introverts receive sure. by virtue of not being in isolation. So I certainly understand that. But that being said, uh, Joe, to your point, if we know that cases are rising, if we know that we can work efficiently from home, um, if, if we know that we can do our jobs via video conferencing, then why, why open up? I mean, why bother? It seems like it would, ultimately it would cost the, the firms more money in terms of they've got to keep the utilities on, the lights on, they got to keep the place air conditioned. Um, the employees would have to commute especially in New York City and places where they have to use public transportation, um, they could be exposed to quite a bit of risk um, by virtue of that commute. It seems like the question to, to the question to me is, is what's the purpose of your business? Mm-hmm. If the purpose of my business is to do what I need to do and go home and then have these human interactions like we're having right now, then, okay, I'll lose a little bit by being online, but then I'll gain it in my personal life later, right? right. Because I get to spend more time at home with real people um, because of the fact that I was so much more efficient. You and I know uh, we are late for an engagement right now. Yeah, with, with we're some, late for a party. Yeah, with some <laughs> friends. We um, And it's a small party. It's a social distance party outside mm-hmm. everybody, just yes. so you know. Yes, yes, yes. But, but when, when, uh, when you got here, we were going to record, and it took us probably a good 30 minutes to even get rolling just because we're in the same spot. Mm-hmm. If this were a Zoom meeting, we'd have been started in maybe four minutes. Yeah, exactly. And 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 we and that's not just a hypothetical. We know this because Joe, you and I have been meeting via Skype right. since 2012. Yeah. You know, and, and when we meet via Skype, we're uh, in it. we yeah, we're in it immediately. At, at most, if there is some sort of a delay, it might be five minutes. Yeah. Might be ten, you know, but uh, but even that is rare. It is. So, so while I think it's more fun to me, and by the way, that's not just me. I know, um, so I'm pausing because of the fact that, that that this is just going to sound so name droppy, which is funny because I don't remember the woman's name, but since we joined Westwood One, (laughs) did I tell you that we're on Westwood One? Since we joined Westwood One, we, we are in these meetings and there's a brand new podcast and I wish that I had the woman's name in front of me because it is an awesome show, but I don't because I didn't think we were going to go this way. But she said that that the reason why this is so much more fun, mm-hmm. there is actually a chemical, Paula, that when you meet people in person and you're having personal discussions that you get, your body gets something that you don't get from a Zoom call. So mm-hmm. she said in the height of COVID to this uh, big conference call we were having, she said, you can have as many Zoom meetings as you want. You know, you're, you can play games on Zoom. You can have meetings on Zoom. You're never going to get that thing that you're looking for, which is why I don't know how many Zoom calls you had or how many Zoom interactions you had mm-hmm. to kind of make up for the fact that you're not in person with people. I didn't get it. I, I kind of hated it. Mm. You know, I, I I certainly understand that. And, and again, speaking as somebody who has worked from home since 2010, 2011, because of the fact that I do not have social interaction during my workday, um, I've compensated for that by um, having social interaction in other spheres. So for for a while, I, I would go to restaurants more often. Uh, this is pre-COVID, of course. I would go to restaurants admittedly more often than I needed to simply so I could be out of the house. Yeah. Um, I would exercise, again, pre-COVID, I would exercise at a gym 
rather than at home, typically, again, so that I could be out of the house and face-to-face with Tell us about that. How fun was that? <laughs> yeah, remember? The good old days? Oh. <laughs> um, and for the last five years, I've, I've been living in a condominium building rather than in a single-family home in a location, Las Vegas, where it's common to live in single-family homes, where it's easily... Single-family homes, in fact, are, are cheaper than a lot of condos. I actually paid a premium... <laughs> I actually paid a premium to live in a condominium building simply because I would be able to interact with neighbors in the hallways, in the elevators, yeah. interact with the concierge in the lobby. And, uh, and to me, there was value in doing that because I wasn't as isolated as I would be if I lived in a single family home by myself. So, um, so I certainly understand human interaction is important, but again, there, there's a big difference between an individual figuring out small ways to build human interaction into their life versus a mandate to go to an office at a time in which caseloads are rising, uh, particularly if that particular individual who's mandated to go to an office might have asthma or diabetes or high blood pressure or uh, might be battling low-grade prostate cancer um, or might live with a somebody, a member of their household. But even without all that. those health yeah. concerns, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's valid. That makes sense to me. But even without that, I just think about the role of your financial advisor. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I'm going to have a meeting with my financial advisor, my financial advisor wants me to be face-to-face versus a Zoom call, mm-hmm. what is my relationship really about? If the relationship is just to get more done and be more efficient with my money and get off the phone... right. That's, that's probably a better use of my time. Like I have, I have a fitness and diet coach. Mm -hmm. I have never met her personally. I pay her a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, I absolutely love her, but we talk for maybe 15 minutes a week and then it's text messages, but I always feel like she's on my case. And whenever I'm eating a donut, I can hear Jesse yelling at me (laughs) and it's just, it's so annoying. But, uh, but, but the nature of that relationship means face to face with Jesse doesn't really matter. So I think about, I think about if you have a financial advisor, do I need to be buddies with them? Like, do I need to sit across the table from them? No, no, not necessarily. I mean, my, uh, I I saw a financial advisor for a while who I've never met in person, um, yeah. and we had phone calls. So so the the one of the issues with Zoom uh, that I, I've read several articles about is that there can be a delay, and so if if there's a delay between when a person is talking and when their their image moves, that can create a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Um, and so I've, I feel like I've had very successful relationships, including with the financial planner that I saw for a while, um, that was strictly over the telephone Yeah. and with the telephone where there isn't that facial delay or that visual delay, uh, we could just, we could have a very seamless rapport. So, um, certainly my, my CPA, my financial advisor, uh, all of those relationships I've managed entirely through email and telephone. Yeah, my CPA, my bookkeeper are online and mm-hmm. I I I love them and I can't imagine getting together for dinner. Like I I mean don't get me wrong, it'd be fun. Right. And maybe that's extra, but but if it's extra, if it's extra, why not do it when the threat's gone? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, same, same. My CPA, I mean I I've met him in person, but he lives in Atlanta. 
I live in Las Vegas. We haven't seen each other in many, many, many years. So that the meeting in person is absolutely unnecessary. So maybe that's the, well, you know what? Let's talk about the takeaway in a second, because mm-hmm. I think I've got one. Uh, and, and you may have one too. <laughs> but first, I want to talk about uh, Tiller, uh, which is uh, the sponsor of today's show. Tiller is what I use to manage my money. And the reason that I like Tiller is because of the fact that it's a spreadsheet. And I mentioned earlier that I'm not a spreadsheet guy. But first of all, you can use Excel or Google Sheets, whichever one you like better. And Everything in your financial life, no matter what institution, downloads safely and securely once per day. So you've got all of your information there and you don't have to build a spreadsheet yourself. You can take from one of hundreds of spreadsheets that other people have created. And if I don't like the spreadsheet, if it's close but not quite, because it's a spreadsheet, I can either make it a little more complex or I can just delete some lines because I don't like it. So it gives me the ultimate flexibility versus an app that's always going to have something that I don't like. So if you want to try it out yourself, head to tillerhq.com forward slash MWF and try it out. And you also get 10% off because you used our link. That's tillerhq.com forward slash MWF. All right. I'm fired up, Paula, with my with my takeaway, but we'll go ladies first. Oh, geez. What is your takeaway? The pressure is on. I yes. would say that the takeaway is there is a distinction between Uh, what is necessary in order to do your job in an efficient and effective manner versus what is preferred. And it certainly may be the case that many people prefer face-to-face interaction, but that is not, strictly speaking, necessary to be able to do your job in certain professions, including investment advisory services. Yeah, I totally agree with you. My takeaway is... I would use this time as a challenge if I'm a financial advisor. As a former financial advisor, let's use this as a time to think about doing business differently and how can we push the envelope on being better for our clients in a different way. I feel like a lot of these firms are opening because it's the way they've always done things. Mm -hmm. Let's forget about how we used to do things and let's use this as a challenge to see all this technology that's out there and available. How can we maybe do something really exciting that hasn't been done before? Mm -hmm. Instead of, of thinking about this as a negative, maybe Paula, this could be a big positive because I think increasingly in the future, firms that use technology really well, are going to be firms that that win, especially as we see millennials get older and have more assets. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't think that somebody who is 27, 28 years old today really cares if we meet in person four times a year. Right, exactly. And and Gen Z, that... Even less effect, so. Yeah. Yeah. The effect will be even more pronounced. Yeah. Paula, everybody says that you've got this fantastic podcast. Why, thank you. I can't believe it. Tell me, is that true? It is true. It is true. (laughs) I am the host of the Afford Anything podcast and approximately one out of every four episodes. I thought you were saying approximately one out of every four people listen. I was like, (laughs) holy cow. Yes, one out of every four people. (laughs) Seven billion people in the world. Let's see, one fourth of that, our listenership. Um, So roughly one out of every four of our Monday episodes. uh, is graced with the presence of a guy by the name of Joe Saul Cihai. Let's not talk about that, though. Let's talk <laughs> about, because you have fantastic guests on your show, and you work hard to get good guests on your show, but you've had some great minds on. Mm-hmm. You've had uh, uh, Mr. James Clear on James, before. James Clear, he's an expert in habit formation. Dan Ariely, 
Yes. He is the probably the leading behavioral economist. You've had the Susie Orman. I've had the Susie Orman. That uh, that episode will go down in history. <laughs> if you want to hear what I'm talking about, listen to the Afford Anything podcast. Um, David Bach, Gene Chatsky. Um, yeah, many, many great thinkers have been on the show. Yeah. And you go deep dive with all of them. We do. Yeah. I, I do long interviews, typically around an, between 45 minutes to an hour, followed by a synopsis of some of the key takeaways of these interviews. And I interview not just personal finance experts, but also people whose expertise is behavioral economics, psychology, um, yeah, the psychology of money, behavioral finance, uh, some, some t- business, entrepreneurship. Uh, so we we really expand laterally into the full gamut of success um, in terms of in money, work, and life. Yeah, time management with uh, Laura Vanderkam. With Laura Vanderkam, yes, yeah. and happiness with Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen uh, doing deep work with Cal Newport. Yeah, too bad you don't talk about anything. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? If you're walking the dog or on your commute, we have you, for those of you that still commute, we have you covered. uh, If you head to Money with Friends podcast, not only will we have links to afford anything and all Paula's links in her social media, we have those for all eight of our thought leaders this this uh, season. Paula. Oh, Chris Gillibo, one of the thought Chris, leaders of the season. That's he's, right. He's been on the show twice, the Afford Anything podcast. He's such a nice guy. He's great. All right, Paula, we'll see you again in a month. Thanks for hanging out. Oh, thank you. This has been fun. All right. On behalf of Paula, I'm Joe. We'll see you next time back here at Money with Friends. Bye-bye. Show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at moneyfriendspod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Bam, nailed it.